imagine going to a church service where the word of God doesn't exist in a language that you can understand? What an amazing privilege we have, right? To, to sit together, to stand together, and, and hear from God as he speaks to us through his word. So I'm going to uh, <clears throat> our passage, which we've been focusing on for a number of weeks. I'm just going to read this uh, from the New Living. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you're not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you're directed by the Spirit, you're not under obligation to the law of Moses. When you follow the, the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. There is no law against these things. <clears throat> that list goes on, but we're going to focus on kindness today. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we're living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. I've entitled today's message, The Embrace of Kindness. Today we're going to look at this fruit of the Spirit called kindness. <clears throat> How would you define kindness? As you might know, I, I love dictionaries. It's actually part of what I get to teach at, at our training school, how to make dictionaries in these uh, languages around the world to help in translation and help the community re remain vibrant in the use of their language. So I pretty much have to use a definition here, right? So here's one from uh, the internet. Kindness is the quality of being gentle, caring, and helpful. Some synonyms of kindness. Goodwill, showing understanding, giving charity, and grace. I think another thing I would add <coughs> with uh, kindness is that it's often unexpected. It's not under compulsion or obligation or in payment for somebody else's deeds. So what I'd like you to do is just take a few moments Turn to somebody next to you, preferably somebody you didn't come with this morning, and think of some kindnesses of God that have been shown to you recently, or maybe the kindness of an individual that has been expressed to you, and just share that with one another. Introduce yourselves if you don't know them, okay? Just a few minutes. Go ahead and do that.
Okay, let's uh, let's start coming back together. Um, God, God is good. He's always expressing His loving kindness towards us through through Himself, through creation, through others. Uh, there's always kindness being expressed to us. We actually hear a lot about random acts of kindness these days, right, in the news. Lots of, uh, I was looking at YouTube videos all week as I was studying about kindness and so many tear-jerking movies, right? <laughs> I had to be there in my office at Cat eyes watering. <laughs> and, uh, and then tons of lists of ideas for random acts of kindness. Fantastic resources to give us ideas on how we can be kind to one another. But I, I don't know about you, but I find random acts of kindness with strangers are actually not that difficult. It's pretty easy. But it seems to get progressively more and more difficult to exhibit kindness with those that are closest to us sometimes. Those that we might be in angst with on a day-to-day -day basis. Like Wes shared last week, we get home and the fruit of patience goes whoo, out the door, right? And for some of us, that's how it is with kindness. Why is it easier to be kind to strangers than those who we love most? I previously have shared <coughs> how Kim and I went through very deep waters in our marriage a number of years ago, about 15 years ago now. And we sat on the brink of divorce for about three years, very seriously on the brink. We had contacted lawyers. We were hanging on by a thread. And I remember clearly Kim describing me <coughs> with very specific words, antonyms, opposites to kindness at that time, that I was unkind and that I was mean. No one would believe this at work or at church. And Kim and I were actually in a church play together at the time, and I had to act angry, and one of the directors said, Larry, you did a great job, but honestly, it's so hard for me to imagine you as angry. I've never seen it. And I looked, I remember looking at Kim in that practice. She had seen my anger, my unkindness, my meanness. Did I want to be mean and unkind? No. Kindness at work was easy for the most part. <clears throat> I could be kind there. But as I saw my marriage crumbling, I tried desperately to change, frantically doing all that I thought I could and that all that I was supposed to do. Everything seemed to backfire. Lord, change me! I would frantically cry out to him on a day-to-day -day basis, on a moment-to-moment -moment basis. But as Galatians pointed out earlier, there's this war going on, and I was unable to carry out my good intentions. Actually, in some ways, I was able to carry out my good intentions, but as they say, the road to hell is often paved with good intentions. They weren't providing the healing that needed to happen in our marriage. I could do nothing. But God was on me. I want to weave that testimony of his grace and his kindness in the lives of Kim and I, and Kim and me, while examining this fruit of the Spirit called kindness. So let's dive in. It's interesting to me that Paul, you know, throughout the New Testament, when he gives us exhortations to be something, like be kind, he never just says, be kind. No, he very clearly lays out the conflict that's at work between the sinful nature, the flesh, the old nature, and this thing called the new nature of the spirit. So it's really important that we understand this conflict. Otherwise, we try to, just out of our own good intentions, be kind. 
it's important that we understand the two natures that are at work. <clears throat> and to do that, we must go to the beginning. As you probably know from, if you've heard me share before, I love the book of Genesis. I always love going to the beginning. Regardless of your take on the Genesis creation story, whether you take it as literary or literal or some combination of the two, at its core is a description of where we're at with respect to God and life. Don't lose that in the debates that go over um, <coughs> the creation story. God says to Adam, you're free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. We often say the wages of sin is death, but we continue to live, so death has got to be much more than physiological end of life. When Adam and Eve were duped by the serpent, we see the ramifications of death. This separation from God. What's the first thing that happens? Adam and Eve go and hide. God asks, why are you hiding? Because I was afraid. Fear now becomes the predominant principle of our existence. And what do we do in this fear? Well, we hide like Adam and Eve do. We hide by blaming others. The woman, she gave me something to eat. We hide by justifying ourselves. Uh, I was just taking what she offered, and besides God, you're the one that put her here with me. We frantically clamor to make ourselves look okay. We clamor for significance, security, relationship. We bury the, bury the reality sometimes of this separation from God behind addictions, addictions to work, sensuality, drugs. Our entire existence is now defined by death and the ramifications of death. We no longer live freely. No, we are slaves. There's no getting out of it. We are complete slaves to a death-driven existence. What Paul calls the flesh in Galatians, the sinful nature, the old nature, this is where it began, and this is how it works. Death and all of its ramifications determine our behavior, and there's no escape from it. Oh, the humanity, what a terrible condition. Who shall save us from this death? First Corinthians says, but thanks be to God. He gives us the victory over sin and death through Jesus Christ. We see this as Christ comes <clears throat> as one of us, Emmanuel, God with us, God as us, as flesh and bone. We see Jesus facing death in the Garden of Gethsemane the night before his crucifixion. And it's not just physiological death that he's about to face. He's going to face death and all of its ramifications that we take on uh, as well. Separation from the Father, insignificance, rejection, isolation. He faces an unknown experience. Up till that time, the Trinity had been this absolute perfect unity. And in some mystery that none of us can explain, something's about to happen as Jesus takes on our sins. An unknown tomorrow. And I believe he's fearful, that he feels the fear that we feel, just like Adam feel, felt. And he says, Father, if it's possible, let there be another way. In agony, sweating drops of blood, please let there be another way. But he surrenders his will instead of 
hiding from God, he surrenders his will to the Father. Not my will, not my will, but yours be done. And he follows through to the cross on our behalf. The crowds have turned against him. His disciples have abandoned him. The powers that be have washed their hands clean of him. And in some mysterious way, the triunity of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is changed on our behalf. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And yet in almost the very same breath, forgive them, Father, for they are slaves to death. They have no clue what they're doing. And then as he gives up his last breath, it's finished. And this curtain in the temple that separates, that represents the separation that happened back in Genesis between us and God, that curtain is ripped in two, and it makes Jesus has now paved the way for reunion, for togetherness with God. We're no longer separated from him. But it doesn't stop there. Could the powers of hell and humanity keep Jesus in the grave? They could not. To show with power and authority and glory that it's true, Jesus crushed death. He puts death and all of its ramifications to death. He rises from the dead. And then Jesus tells us this, this strange thing. I'm going to leave you, and it's better for you that I leave. He's, he said this before his crucifixion in uh, John 16. How can that be? Jesus right beside us, right? Having breakfast on the shores of Galilee with his disciples. Can you imagine, you know, walking down the White Rock Promenade with Jesus, having fish and chips? Could there be anything better? Sharing your life with Jesus, him talking directly to you. And yet he says, it's better for you that I depart. Why? It's because he's sending his Holy Spirit. In Acts 2, they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. Do you know why the Jews were gathered together at this time? They were celebrating the Feast of Weeks. They're remembering their history, the history of God's presence in the wilderness, the tabernacle. God's presence shown by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And now, his presence isn't just over the tabernacle. It's over each one of them. God's spirit resting in each of us. God has done more than solve the separation <coughs> uh, issue that was in Genesis. God was with us in Genesis God is now in us in Acts. <clears throat> Emmanuel, God with us, God is one of us, now becomes God in us. We are reconciled to God. We are reconciled to life. Why am I talking about this? Because the fruits of the Spirit are the fruits of the Spirit living in us. It's not the fruits of Larry. It's not the fruits of Kim. It's not the fruits of you. It's not the fruits of all of us being fruits. It's the fruit of the Holy Spirit that dwells within us. That's where this new nature that lives freely within us, <clears throat> where the Spirit of God, it all started here in <clears throat> the book of Acts with the promise of what Jesus was sending to us. So now we come back to our passage in Galatians. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to put up the, the scripture <clears throat> This is from the NIV translation. 
So I'm just going to paraphrase it a little bit from uh, what I've been talking about with the old nature and the new nature. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Walk by what is now togetherness with God, not separation with God anymore, proven by the Spirit within us. God actually resides in us. And you will not try to gratify with frantic graspings the slavery to that death-driven existence that declares that we were separated. No, for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. The slavery of that death-driven existence directly opposes the freedom of the life-giving togetherness we have with God through his Spirit. The frantic graspings for significance, for life, for security, for power are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, and the list goes on. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. I, I often, as I'm playing with words, being the dictionary kind of person I am, I, I like to take a look at opposites sometimes. So uh, it, it sometimes gives me insight as to where I'm at. <coughs> so if we take the opposites of this particular verse, the fruit of the Spirit, so it's fruit of the death-driven existence, apart from the list that was already given just a couple verses earlier. If I take the opposite of love, fear, inability to love, the opposite of joy, miserableness and strife, the opposite of <coughs> uh, peace, strife, the opposite of patience, impatience, the opposite of kindness, contempt, unkindness, meanness, etc. Cruelty, corruption, dishonesty, unfaithfulness, harshness, and lack of restraint. There were those words, impatience, contempt, meanness, I'm hearing those, seeing those in myself over and over again in the midst of our marital break, breakdown. I want to share a, a story that had a huge effect on me in the midst of this time. <coughs> uh, we, we used to have our summer training school, AA summer training school in Oregon, which is actually where Kim and I met in the mid-1980s. And uh, it was the summer of 2004. <coughs> Our marriage was in shambles, and I had gone down to our summer school to help set up. Normally, I'd stay there the whole summer to teach and to help some classes with computer stuff, but I decided I should co come home right away because we were in crisis. And uh, I was heading on the I-5 uh, north from Eugene, Oregon, back to Langley, when I started having a daydream, a very vivid daydream. And this is actually frequent for me that I daydream while in the car. It's okay. <laughs> it's safe. But uh, this particular daydream was incredibly vivid. And I, after it was over, I pulled over at the nearest rest stop, and I just wrote it all down. And so I'm going to share, share that with you. So I was floating in space, in outer space. <coughs> and... Um, I tried to make this package as ugly as I could, but um, imagine this as a as a ugly package covered in uh, compost, human waste, uh, you know, all that stuff, just really ugly. 
and the smells coming out of it. You know, guys, when you change a diaper for the first time, that feeling that you have to gag. Um, that's what these packages were doing as they were approaching me, right? And I'm floating in space, and there's a number of these packages, about 10 of them, coming towards me at different times. And they'd come, and I'd frantically push away the package. And it'd go, and then it'd slow down, and then I'd see it start coming back towards me, right? And another package coming back towards me. And I'm just frantically juggling these things, pushing them away. And I hear a voice, <coughs> Larry, embrace those packages. Grab hold of them. Bring them towards you. And I'd say, I can't. They're too disgusting. They're so ugly. I, I don't want that stuff touching me. And this voice saying, <clears throat> the packages belong to you. Indeed, they're part of you. And there's no wholeness until you embrace those packages. God, I can't, I cannot embrace these packages. And God saying, no, you can't. But together, we can. And at that point, in what's really hard to describe, <clears throat> I, my body is translucent, and I see Christ in me, his arms in my arms, outstretched, helping me, gently moving me to embrace these packages. And as we take hold of the packages together, gather them in, and they, they touch my body, they're absorbed into my body, and I see them traveling to the center where Jesus is. Jesus is in me. And Christ is absorbing that package. This embrace of God's loving kindness, his gentleness, helping me accept all that I am and bring it in. His forgiveness, his goodness, his mercy. That embrace <coughs> surrounding me, Christ in me, <coughs> helping me to embrace myself, helping me to repent. And instead of that frantic pushing away, there's this rest in God's loving kindness and embrace. This is uh, a painting I found on the internet <coughs> over the summer. It's a painting that's up at a retreat center in the UK. And I just love what it depicts. God embracing us with his loving kindness to draw us repentance. Sometimes we say repentance, you know, the, the word repent means change your direction. And quite often in our, in our, in our haste, we, re, we repent. We try to change our direction with all of our good intentions. And we miss the part of sitting with God and embracing what actually is, what act, who we actually are and all of our stuff, the packages, the baggage that we often refer it to that God helps us hold these things and transforms them. I had a friend who said to me while I was frantically trying to do all the right things to save my marriage, Larry, stop. What do you mean stop? Can't you see I'm trying to save my marriage? He said it again, stop. It was then, only then, that I could start to even see this voice of God saying, accept all that you are. And <clears throat> let me start to do the work instead of you. 
If I'm not frantically pushing away my packages, hurling them at you, at Kim, my kids, out of rest and security as I embrace those packages, you know what it does? It helps me now to embrace them with their stuff too, right? That we embrace one another. That we can now accept and extend the embrace of God's kindness to others. We love our neighbors. Sorry, I'm spitting all over the front row here. <laughs> we love our neighbors as ourselves. We can only begin to love ourselves, truly love ourselves and our neighbors. Why? Because Christ first loved us. He extends the embrace of kindness around us. Paul puts it another way in Ephesians 4. <clears throat> you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your mind, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. That old enslaved, death-driven existence corrupted by its frantic graspings, that's no solution at all. Put it away. See life, real life, in a new way. Put on the new self, the one that declares freedom to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Don't lose sight of the fact that we're now together with God, no longer separated in death. Not only are we together with God, God is in us. Jesus has sent the Holy Spirit. This togetherness with God is, as Aretha Franklin said it, Signed, sealed, delivered. I'm yours by the Holy Spirit in us. God has fully embraced us with his loving kindness. So rest in that Holy Spirit. Let that spirit in you bear fruit in your lives. Backbiting, gossip, anger, little put-downs here and there, those little <clears throat> and big feelings of superiority, that's the fruit of the old self, and it was rotten from day one back in the garden. Instead, just as God embraces us with his loving kindness, extend the embrace of kindness to one another, forgiving each other, being compassionate to one another. Okay. I've had two songs going in my head all week, well, actually for a number of weeks now. So I want to wrap up with these two little ditties uh, that I want to get stuck in your heads for the week, okay? Because I think they, they sum up uh, what we've been talking about. So uh, a number of you older folks will remember this song, I'm sure. So the, uh, from Ephesians 4.32. So I'll, I'll sing it once. Hopefully this will go okay. Um, and then we'll sing it together, okay? Be ye kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. Do, 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 do. Ephesians 4.32. Yeah. Okay, and you got to do the yeah, okay? <laughs> All right, let's try it together. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. Do, 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 Ephesians 4.32. Nice, okay. The other uh, song that's been going in my head <coughs> all week is... Um, Cruel to be kind. So I don't know if you know this song, right? You gotta be cruel to be kind in the right measure. Cruel to be kind's a very good sign. 
cruel to be kind, etc. Okay, but that song is incredibly dysfunctional. It's terrible, right? It's about this relationship where the guy's cruel to her, and anyways, it's it, it's not cruel to be kind. It's free to be kind, right? So I'm just gonna sing this once. You don't have to sing. If you want to sing along, go ahead. But uh, afterwards, go ahead and sing it all week long, right? You gotta be free to be kind in the right measure. Free to be kind's a very good sign. Free to be kind means that I love you, baby. You gotta be free to be kind. There you go. <laughs> All right, let's pray. Maybe you've become aware of um, things that God is asking you to take hold of rather than reject so that he can transform those things. <clears throat> these things take time. That, that dream happened in the summer of 2004, and it'd be at least another two years before our marriage even started to look like we were healing <clears throat> as a couple. And my frantic prayers of Lord... <clears throat> changed me, became, Lord, hold me. Help me to rest in your love. Help me to know love. And help me to love. That journey still continues. So, <clears throat> I want you to imagine if there are some of those packages. God in you. God's Holy Spirit in you because of the work Christ did, uh, did on the cross on our behalf to, to take that separation from God and declare it dead. Satan said, you'll be like God. Little did he know he was setting God up to put God in us through his Holy Spirit. What an amazing gift. What heights of love, what depths of peace. Our fears are stilled frantic, striving, pushing away these packages cease. God, will you embrace each one of us with that deep, deep love. Help us embrace ourselves for all that is. Help us to, help that to be the starting point of repentance and the things that you want to transform in our lives. And may we extend that loving kindness to one another. In Jesus' name. Would you stand with us? We're going to close with a song.